right, guys, today I get to interview Carrie Barrett. We're going to be talking about the relatability index and all kinds of things related to being on camera and television. Carrie has a long-standing history of being on TV, coming from what she says was a debilitating fear of speaking, uh, which we're going to be talking about. I think many of us can relate to that. Maybe <laughs> as you see her talk, you would think there's no way she could have had a possible fear, but that's the way it always looks for people that have gone through the process and bettered themselves. So, Carrie, I'm so excited to be talking to you today. Take us into that fear. Like, what did that fear look like? Oh um, and then let's walk through that process. <laughs> I still have PTSD from this. <laughs> so it, it was, it, you know, and you're, you're right. It, it is a polar opposite what my fear was and that what I ultimately ended up doing in my sort of previous professional life prior to opening my own business. But I, I get messages from people that I went to high school with or that I went to college with on Facebook or Instagram all the time saying, you are the very last person I would have ever thought would go down this path. And I actually started as a pre-veterinary medicine major because my fear of talking to people was so debilitating that I actually did not want to work with them. I preferred to work with animals. I like animals, but but it was a big part of it was like not having to talk to people. And um, I sort of stumbled into my, my previous profession, which was I was an, an on-air news anchor for 20 years. I have a couple of Emmys and other awards under my belt. So I was, I was you know, not bad at it. Right. Um, but I, I stumbled into it through an internship at college that I was trying to use to, you know, speed up my graduation date, basically, in a nutshell, and ended up really loving the idea of sharing stories through video you know, on the news. So then I had to learn how to figure out how to not just be good at it, but good enough that I could count on somebody to pay me, you know, put the roof over my head and the food in my stomach by, you know, delivering on camera. And really, as it is, as you mentioned on the top of the show, it is about just taking those small steps. It, I certainly had guidance and coaches, consultants, and we had people, you know, mentors training us and that helped. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, it's about taking what you know and just applying it a, a little bit each day. And then the fear sort of begins to subside once you have these small successes and then you build on that. So let's talk about, obviously it was a huge mountain you had to climb, but there had to have been a desire to climb that mountain. Like what was it about that internship that, what, what was the compelling, the positive reason uh, to do it? Well, if I really dive down deep, I think part of it was that people assumed I couldn't do it. And I, I that I did not like. I didn't like that assumption. And part of it was I wanted to be able to prove them wrong. And so that's sort of like my emotional reason, I guess. But in terms of actually moving forward beyond that, I lived all over the place when I was a kid. We grew up overseas. I lived all over the country. And I really enjoyed and loved, as a matter of fact, despite being super shy and very introverted, I, I really liked learning about people and learning about you know, those sort of behind the scenes moments of their lives that are different for all of us, but also bring us all together. I, I had always had that natural curiosity. And so the idea of being able to share like the stories of people, their successes, their fears, their, their triumphs, their failures, and being able to share it in a way that resonates with the community and sharing important information and then using the power of story 
and and visuals, video in this case, to be able to do it. That I absolutely loved. And I think that was, you know, what really pushed me down down the path. Once I figured out I could do it, then then proving myself wasn't as big of a deal anymore. It was just the joy of, of telling the stories. For you, how, how many videos did it take? Like, I mean, and I know it's not like an on <laughs> or off switch. It's like, okay, maybe I'm slightly comfortable. Maybe I'm more comfortable. Yeah. What was the, the video count before? I would, well, I mean, I was on the air every single day. You know, I, I was, when I first started, um, I was in a tiny little market in Wichita Falls, Texas. And, you know, there's not a lot of resources in those small markets. I was on TV live seven days a week. Sometimes it was for a minute and a half. Sometimes it was for two hours. And so it was, it was consistent. Number one, I would say the real turning point for me was probably at about six months in. And it wasn't because there was like a specific moment where I sat at the anchor desk and was like, Oh, I got it all figured out. Cause as soon as you do that, you get, you know, sucker punched two times. And I think what it was for me was there was a breaking news situation we had had a couple of them, but in this particular case, I was anchoring it by myself and it wasn't pretty, but that much I can tell you. There was a, there, and there were plenty of people who emailed into the station to tell me how ugly it was. Mm. But, um, but I realized at that point I didn't get fired. I managed to, you know, stand up off of my, you know, out of my chair after the show was over and walk off the set and go sit down at my table and, or my desk rather. And, and it was fine. And I think what that translated into for me anyway, was I can actually handle whatever comes my way. It, it, it might not be perfect. It certainly won't be. It never has been. It never will be for anyone, but I can navigate my way through whatever is thrown at me and come out on the other side standing. And I think that was the moment where I finally realized Oh, now I can explore the space and I can put those skills to use and I can keep trying to push boundaries and figure out where I can go. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. And and being able to sort of use those skills to push the boundaries ultimately made me more aware of who I was. And I know this word authenticity is thrown around, you know, 10 ways since Tuesday, and it's sort of diluted at this point. But Prior to that, I was very focused on like, I'm going to sit up, I'm going to have the news anchor voice and my hair is going to be perfect and I'm going to, you know, everything is going to be just right. And I was sort of playing at being an anchor. I wasn't actually myself. And when I did all that unpretty stuff that one day, then I figured out I could be myself. And that actually like being relatable to your audience, bringing into the, you know, the relatability stuff, being relatable and real, that is then what ultimately moved me from Wichita Falls to New York City. Not directly. There was a lot of stops in between, but. (laughs) So let's talk about the two hour sessions. Were those all 100% scripted? Were those? No, 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 no. Topics? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's news. So there's very often there's stuff that's breaking, which is, you know, for the most part ad lib and some of the shows I was producing, you know, so I was, I had produced them prior to the show. You know, I wrote all the stories. I stacked all the, you know, scripts. I, you know, filled the rundown and figured out what was going where and why and how it was going to transition into the next thing. And so occasionally on those 
those types of shows, I would be at the desk. There's not a producer in the control room. It's me. And I'm just like, okay, we're, you know, in between stories or commercial breaks, we're tight, drop this story, you know, on the phone to the producer or we're heavy. We got to add some more stuff in, tell whether they need to stretch, tell sports, they need to cut back 15 seconds. I mean, it's really to the second. And so when you are in that environment where things are literally unfolding in real time and there are people on the other side of that camera watching it all unfold and they don't see what's going on behind the scenes um there's a there's a there's a big part that's unscripted you yeah you have to if you have to fill time if i have to fill you know three minutes because a reporter didn't make their you know live shot then i just have to I have to ad lib for three minutes. Or if there's a breaking news story and we literally have three words of information and no pictures and I have to fill a half an hour until our reporter gets out to the scene or, you know, somebody calls in with a phone or interview, I just have to, I have to fill a half an hour of live TV by myself with, you know, there was a plane crash. Yes. And somehow make those three words last 30 minutes. (laughs) Goodness. What is the framework? (laughs) I mean, especially coming from an introverted person, right? Like, I mean, my understanding, because I have, so I, I call myself actually an extrovert, but I'm, I have like these kind of more introverted, like, um, tendencies or, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. It, the idea of just filling 30 minutes, like if you're talking to me, telling me to fill 30 minutes teaching sales, that's one thing, right? But like, you're just talking about the random event of the day. So like, yeah. what did you use? <laughs> well, in the, in the very beginning, there was no framework. Let me tell you, <laughs> that was very clear. But it's only by doing it that I learned to build a framework for myself. And I will tell you this. Um, I, I tell my clients all the time, like, if you want to get really good at being on camera very quickly, there's nothing that beats a live stream because you got to dig yourself out of whatever hole you or the technology has put yourself in. And you so to answer your question, in the beginning, there was no framework. But what I eventually realized is sometimes it is literally just you're you're telling people you're it's almost like process talking um you are explaining to the audience what's going on behind the scenes because they don't know that you don't have all of the information yet so you got to tell them and so you figure out what they need to know and what you know and what they're going to be looking for and then you sort of address all of those things and and then you do it as often as you need to every now and then there's a little bit of new information you get you know we had somebody stop by the scene carrie and they say they saw the flames you know they're on the phone right now ask them where they are and what they're seeing and then you sort of just piece together that information until you have the full picture which you know in some cases doesn't come until, you know, I, I can, I think the longest I've ever been on air straight live was, um, was 16 hours and that was for hurricane Sandy. Um, and so, you know, it's just a matter of <laughs> piecing it together until you get as much of the picture as you can, but there was no framework to begin with. <laughs> My goodness. So like there, and there's probably a lot of like small frameworks, whether they're conscious or not conscious, right? I mean, there's the framework of how do you keep yourself calm? How do you keep yourself poised versus like the framework of what do I say? Like how many things are you thinking about? Or do you just allow, do you just fully become present in the moment? Like, what does it feel like? Yeah. So that's such a good question. I, I think that in the beginning, well, not, I think, I know that in the beginning, 
I mean, my, my, my voice was shaking and I'm, you know, all high and breathy in my like upper chest. And it's very clear that I'm nervous. I've never done this before. You may even see my handshake when I'm holding a paper. And that's, that's, that's just what it is. I mean, for anybody that's starting in that space, we all went through the same stumbles and bumbles and fumbles. And so it's a little bit about letting yourself off the hook. And so you can just sort of calm down. One of the biggest mistakes that newbies make is that when there is a fumble, they start to speed up and they talk really quickly because they want to try and get it over with. And that was something that I was aware of from the beginning. And so when that was really sort of my first, okay, things are going haywire, take a breath, lower your register, like lower the tone of my voice or the pitch of my voice, and then deliver what you know a little more slowly and you can gather your thoughts rather than try and like spit out as much information as you possibly can because you want people to think you know what you're talking about. Eventually, you get to the point where you're very comfortable going off script and just saying to the audience, you know, hold on a second, I, I need to reference something and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this report that just, you know, I'm, I'm sort of reenacting it here. I'm looking at this report that just came in and what we're hearing is blah, 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 blah. You get very comfortable with the process, explaining to the audience, not just the event, but what's going on as it unfolds. And that not only gives you a little bit of, of filler, but it also allows you to collect yourself. But eventually, and this will happen for everybody who, who does this regularly, you get to a point where all of those skills, and this is why I try and tell my clients, you get to a point where all of the skills are so automatic, you, it just go, they go on autopilot and you don't have to think about them anymore. And you can just think about the information and getting it to the audience. It's sort of like, and I, I, I if you were to explain to somebody who has never, I'm going to pick something, who's never seen a toothbrush and never brushed their teeth. I know it sounds gross, but it, it will be understandable, this analogy. And you were trying to explain to this person how to brush your teeth. We would probably say, if we didn't put much thought to it, we'd probably say something like, well, you like open the toothpaste and you put it on the brush and you brush your teeth. Well, someone who's never seen toothpaste and a toothbrush, they need way more than that. This is the toothbrush. This is the part that you use to scrub your teeth. This is toothpaste. You take off the top, you pull off the foil, you squeeze from the bottom. You need this much. You wet your brush. You brush your teeth for two minutes. Right? They need every single little step. Whereas you and I, and hopefully everybody listening to this, right. knows exactly how to do that. They don't need the step-by-step -step information because all of that is just known almost at a cellular level and you don't need it anymore. It's on autopilot, just like walking. If I asked you to walk a straight line, you could walk a straight line just fine. But if I said, stand up straight, keep your shoulders back as your left leg moves forward. Also, your right hand moves forward. You should keep your eyes straight, not look down, not look up, but right at about steady level. And then as you propel, not your, your left leg goes back and your right arm goes back and then your left you know, your left arm goes forward. I mean, it, all of that stuff it, it gets confusing. We know how to do it. We don't have to think about it. We can walk on our own and we can focus on whatever the other task is. So to answer your question, a very long-winded way, eventually it does become autopilot once you do it enough, and then you can focus on the audience. And that's, that's where the magic happens.
Love it. Everyone who listens to our show knows Tim and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times that you've watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between 5 and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us. And let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. So I've seen um, YouTube videos about all the people that are pranking each other at the stations. Colleagues are trying to get you to laugh or, or, or do something really crazy. Like if you can give us a story of that, if that happened. Oh man. Yeah. So, oh boy. I'm trying to, there were so many of them. Um, in one particular, there was a station I worked at in Philadelphia that was, we had a really wild audience and by wild, I mean, not super engaged, habitual viewers, loved the morning show were very very you know connected with um with with the team on the set and, and us with the viewers and you see them at events and all, all sorts of stuff and so there was a lot of levity in that show and yeah we had a I, <laughs> one in particular that i am reminded of is and i, I cannot remember whether it was a birthday or whether we were listing like a series of names or um for some reason, but, but the names were wrong. And the, and the, <laughs> the two, actually three that I remember, there's one I won't say is, um, Don Keyballs, <laughs> Hugh Janus. And, um, oh my gosh, what was the other one? It was one of the standard ones, like, you know, Ben Dover or Seymour Heine or one of those random things. Yeah, we were we we were certainly pranked. And there's been a couple of times where unfortunately that's happened. It's made national news in a not at all uh appropriate or or good way, but I never had that happen. So thankfully I'm on the right side of that at this right. point anyway. So I interviewed a gal who's in real estate months ago and she had been a like a tv reporter news anchor and she mm -hmm. talked about how little the pay was and i've been surprised because like from an outside observer you see the people that are at like the big big stations they're making 10 20 million a year yeah. and then there's probably a huge disparity can you kind of talk to us about what that world looks like oh gosh yeah well the tv news industry and i'm not sure what market she was in but um it does. It does vary widely. The TV news industry is, you know, just like newspapers in a state of contraction. They have been for probably since the very early aughts. 
because of, you know, our, because of our cell phones and the internet. It started out with the internet. We didn't have smartphones back when I started, but the news industry is very sloppy in getting their arms around the interwebs and, and then social media, you know, promoting all sorts of stories on Twitter and Facebook. It's when the news doesn't own those platforms. Um, and so the industry has been just sort of hemorrhaging viewers because everybody can curate their own, their own, you know, newsfeed, if you will. Um, so that is, that has put a lot of those top players, you know, there's, there's a handful of them. I don't know, maybe 20 or 50 that are in the upper seven digits and they have targets on their backs. Um, and it's it still the ageism is is definitely at play for sure. Uh, but to give you a sort of to weigh the ends there, when I first started, again, very small market, Wichita Falls, Texas, I had a master's degree and I started as a weekday reporter and weekend anchor and producer. And I was making $17,000 a year. Um, and I was I was working well over 40 hours a week. Well, and that, that it does begin to change. I mean, by the time I was in New York City, I was making I was making very good money. And so it, it but there's it's it's on a continuum. You know, there's there's 212 markets starting with I think Alpena, Michigan is the smallest one and New York City is the biggest. And there is a massive discrepancy. And it also depends on your position as well. You know, are you doing this or are you doing this? Are you the news director or are you, you know, an associate or assistant producer? So it is, there's a, it is a wide, wide array of, of salaries. And I think one of the biggest challenges too, is that we were always encouraged, not encouraged. In fact, sometimes explicitly directed, even in our contracts, not to discuss our salary I had an agent. Many of us had agents who did all of that stuff. But if you didn't have an agent, you were flying blind. You had no idea what people in that market, in that position were making. And so you, it was a really difficult thing to to navigate. navigate. Yeah, that totally yeah. makes sense. So let's speak to real estate agents, real estate investors, small business owners. Like if they want to start using video, like maybe they don't want to go out and get a $17,000 anchor job. Like <laughs> what, what can they be doing? Yeah, I mean, listen... Being on video is the fastest way to build a personal brand. And and it I'll start by saying this. It doesn't always have to be about your business. You don't always have to go on to whatever it is and talk about, let's say, your listing. You can build a personal brand that is related to real estate, but maybe it's more about you're also really great at gardening. And so you teach new homeowners or people who are looking to buy a home, aside from what the listing is, also how they can spruce up their landscaping or how to pick a landscaper or whatever the case may be. And that's like more of who you are as a person as it relates to your business. And so creating video is wherever it is, wherever your platform is, wherever your audience is, whether it's Instagram or LinkedIn or YouTube or on your website, by the way, you should be doing all of them. Um, it is it is about establishing a face, a voice, and a personality with whomever is watching. And I think in the day of you know, A&I, and I, we're barely scratching the surface as of this recording, it's going to get all of the written content, 
as more and more people use it, more and more generic. And really the only way to, which is not to say it doesn't have its place, but really the only way to make that connection is by putting your face on a camera and showing up somewhere. And not only that, but it leads to so many other opportunities. When you have a brand online, it leads to people seeking you out for speaking opportunities or panel discussions or media opportunities or hybrid events, all sorts, live streams, podcasts. And so it, it offers you a chance to grow in a way that is not possible with you know, one-on-one meetings and networking events and chamber of commerce. And they all have their place for many of us, but there's nothing that beats video and using it properly to grow. So show up. And I mean, that's a very generic thing to say, but wherever it is, wherever, whoever you're looking to talk to, wherever they hang out, start talking to them there and figure out what they want and what they need. And then you craft your content around that and what you're good at. So teaching every single day can be tough for people. I mean, because some people feel like they'll run out of content within a week or a month or even a year. Um, So how do you, how do you help people strategize the content itself? Like, let's say, so for me, for example, I really love sales and I love personality uh, assessments and things of that nature. I could probably teach on it for maybe a year every single day, Mm -hmm. you know, before I feel like I'd have to like really recycle or things like that. How would you think, how, how should I think about content or structure? Well, I'll say this. There's only a very small portion of your audience who sees what you post on the regular and they don't see it every day. And so you can, there's nothing that you should create that is only used once. <laughs> All you have to do is go back and take, look at something that performed well three months ago and take that same video and create, you know, maybe a slightly different twist on the caption or a slightly different hook on the text that's on the screen. You should be reusing as much as you possibly can. I do podcasts and I do vlogs and I do them every week for myself. And I will take, you know, a lot of that and and turn it into micro content verticals for, you know, shorts and reels and TikTok and all that other stuff. I will say, I don't find that that performs as well as video that I create explicitly for those platforms, meaning something that's not chopped up, something that is just created from start to finish, but it doesn't have to be complicated. Once you get, once you get good, you can knock out, you know, I mean, what is, what is reels? They're asking for eight second videos. You can knock out 60 of them in a day. If you, if you know what you want to talk about. And if you're looking for ideas, there's a couple of really easy ways to find them. Askthepublic.com is a great way to, there's free and paid version, go into there and put in whatever your niche is. If it's real estate, put in real estate and see the questions that people are asking about your area of expertise. And then literally the next thing you can do is copy and paste those paste them into chat GPT and say, come up with 60 video ideas, short form video ideas for these questions. And, you know, they won't all work, but a lot of them will. And then craft, you know, a 12 second video that gives a juicy hook and ask people to read the caption and then put the rest of the information, your unique spin on it in the caption. You know, that's one easy way to do it. And it, it, 
Again, AI is a blessing and a curse. Don't ever use it to replace your voice. But in terms of generating ideas and understanding what people are, are hungry for, it's fantastic. It's a massive time saver. I was having a conversation with a guy who's a very prolific uh, interviewer and he's hiring a coach and his coach's advice to him was people need to hear your opinion on things. And he interviews some fairly controversial people. And so he's, mm -hmm. he's very, very nervous about this because it's going to really put out there in the world exactly where he stands on issues. that will be very divisive. Mm -hmm. uh, what would be your advice? Would it be the same as his coach or would it differ? No, 100% the same as his coach. And I'll, I'll, I will remind uh, the audience of Howard Stern, like, the man was the, he's a master interviewer. That's not a, what this is about though. People loved him or they hated him. Either way, they listened and it, and it generated talk and that talk propelled other people to listen. And for, <clears throat> excuse me, for this particular gentleman, you're right. There are going to be some people who are, who are not going to like what he says. But if he's creating, if he's creating dialogue without, you know, the goal of just being controversial for, you know, controversy's sake, then he will spur dialogue. And really, at the end of the day, and you hear this all the time, and I, I get why it's scary. <clears throat> but if you are putting out the right sort of video content, you're going to, <clears throat> excuse me bring the right people to you and repel the right ones as well. My goodness. Sorry. <clears throat> You're going to bring the right people to you and repel the ones that are not a good fit. So putting out that controversial information is actually doing himself a favor because he's going to weed out a lot of the chaff and he's not going to need to go through the pointless sales calls and the millions of emails with people that ultimately aren't going to work with him anyway. So at the end of the day, while it is scary, you're actually, if you do it right and do it consistently, you're creating more momentum and you're also repelling the wrong client and bringing the right one to you. So you talk about doing it right. Um, one of the things you mentioned was not doing controversy for controversy's sake, but what are maybe some other things that would help people either do it right or not do it wrong? I, I, here's what, what I mean when I, I, it's funny, I had this conversation with somebody not too long ago. We live in an outrage society. Like we like, we, all you have to do is scroll on Twitter for 30 seconds to figure that out. And it's, when I say that, I mean, people who like to stir up outrage and controversy by purposefully making outrageous statements, even if they don't believe in them because they want to generate, it's clickbait. They want to generate likes. They want to generate comments. They don't care how many people say Europe, you know, bleep, 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 because they just want the traction, even if they don't believe in what they're saying. That is not the right way to do it, at least for somebody who's serious in business, because you damage your credibility. Eventually, you're going to be found out. You don't actually think that way. You think this way. You just said this because you want to be, have clickbait content. What I mean is you should, you if, if that's the road that you're going, express your controversial opinions, but express them for the right reason. Don't express them because you're, you know, lying or you're looking for clickbait. But talking about what you believe in or don't believe in, 
again, done well and done with integrity is maybe the better way to say that. Again, brings the right people to you and and repels the rest. But I don't buy into that. You could, to use a sort of distasteful expression, you could swing a dead cat and hit 55 outrage posts in 30 seconds. Don't go down that path because for most of us, it doesn't go anywhere good. Yeah. What is your vision for your life and business next 12 to 18 months? Well, I'm about four years in. I started a little bit before the pandemic. There might be fuzzy math there, but <laughs> thereabouts. And it has been a, a really tough, tough road to hoe. I had zero business knowledge when I first started. And by zero, I mean, I didn't have any idea what my offer was. I didn't even know that I should have an offer. If somebody would ask me how I was going to scale my offer, I would have to say, stand by. I got to Google what scale means. Right. So as you, as you can imagine, the first four years were wildly frustrating, insanely stressful. I've never... I've never been as stressed as I have been in the last four years. Finally, I'm getting ready to launch a new offer. And I'm really hoping that what the next 12 to 18 months allows is the ability to scale that offer in a way that allows me to, to dial back on sort of the time for money conundrum that I'm in and grow without working, uh, you know, 60 plus hours a week. That is my goal for the next 12 to 18 months. Love it. And you have obviously <laughs> some, some resources people can get a hold of, right? How, how would they best get a hold of those? Absolutely. I would, you know, and there are a number of, of downloads and freebies and resources, probably the very best way to find all of them and also get, you know, tips for content and showing up on camera is to follow me on Instagram. And my handle's really easy. It is I am Carrie Barrett. And you'll see all the links up there on my profile where you can access a masterclass and a download and, and my program as well. So check me out on Instagram. I am Carrie Barrett. It's the best way to find me. Awesome. Carrie, thank you so much for coming on and sharing about your life and your business. For those of you out there, maybe you're just a little bit nervous about getting on camera and it might be having a huge negative impact on your business by not allowing it to grow. Um, Carrie and I both share the fear of being on camera and yet here we are. So guys, you can do it. Uh, write down something you learned from today's episode. Share it with somebody you know so they can hold you accountable because freedom is acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 